Africa Climate Conversations. The podcast. Hello, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to another edition of the Africa Climate Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwa. As I promised you the last time that we are going to talk about culture. Yes, culture. And understanding the role culture plays in conservation. And we're going to focus on the Lozi people, that is the people of the Barotsa floodplains in western Zambia. If you want to know more about the Barotsa floodplains, listen to the previous episode that we did, elaborated more on the floodplains and the threats and the risks and solutions. But today we are going to talk about culture and we are joined by Setoka Victor, whom I'm going to let introduce himself in a minute. And we're going to talk about the Lozi people of the Barotse have lived in harmony with nature from respecting their culture. Thank you so much, Setoka, for joining us. Would you please introduce yourself? Siachoga Victor is my name. I work for National Heritage Conservation Commission here in Zambia. The National Heritage Conservation Commission is a statutory body that is charged with the responsibility to manage the conservation of cultural and natural heritage of the country. Thank you. Can we talk about the culture of the Lozi people and the heritage? The Lozi people are said to have been living in this Barotse floodplain for over 400 years. And when they did arrive in this area, they realized that it was one area that gets flooded. And in most cases, communities find difficulties to live in areas that get flooded. So floods actually pose very serious hazard and risk to the livelihoods of the people. But that was not the case with the Los. When the Los people did realize that this place gets flooded, they had to develop certain mechanisms that would help them survive even in a flooded zone. And quickly, I'm going to just explain a few of the things that they used as safeguard mechanisms to respond to the flooding regime of this area. Firstly, they created canals, okay? With these canals, they were able to drain, you know, the flood so that the water quickly recedes by allowing water moving all the time and very fast. The same canals were used for agriculture so that they are food secure. The canals, you know, were used as irrigation uh, channels so that some of them actually run along the lip of the floodplain itself. The same canals were used as roadways from one village to the other. So we look at this ingenuity of this level of indigenous knowledge system as something that is very unique of how people were able to adapt to an area that gets flooded without really destroying it but just being able to make their lives and their livelihoods, you know, um, are effective in such an area. And then secondly, they were able to put up homesteads by basically just the heaping soil. They create a platform on which they built houses and formed villages. Okay, so you are basically looking at the people that have uh, managed to create um, homesteads on top of an area that gets flooded. 
you are talking here about um, an activity that was started by people that have been here for 400 years ago. So as a national heritage, we look at this level of, you know, capacity by our ancestors, if you like, that have been able to respond to a natural uh, phenomenon that actually ordinarily should have created a constraint in their livelihoods as something that is special. And then the lost people are also unique in terms of the litungaship about their cultural leadership. The lost people are ruled by a king, is referred to as a litunga. Litunga basically means land. And land in this context means water, birds, fish, literally everything, the whole ecosystem. That's the meaning. Now, the story here is that um, at some point, God was here in uh, Baros land. And uh, due to activities that did not please him, that man was involved in, God decided to ascend to heaven with his wife. The wife, the, the lost God is called Nyambe, and the wife is called Naslele. So when he did that, he didn't want to leave the lost people uh, without a leader. So he appointed amongst them a leader who, in this case, is the Litunga. So there is a connection between God, uh, the creator of everything, and the king uh, of the Barotsa people, who is the Litunga. This explains why there are, again, a number of cultural activities and intricacies that define and constitute the Litungaship. One of the things is that the laws kings, the Litungas, are believed that they don't die. They just pass on to the other world. And before a lost king dies, he would choose where he would be buried. And once he chose that place and he passed on, they would build a village there and he would be buried right at the center of it to show that he is still in control and the village is built around it. He is not left alone. There are people they refer to as the Ngomboti. The Ngomboti are the priests, basically, that interface with the late king on behalf of the people. And it is believed that they receive information from the king who would have died and they bring this information to the people. In terms of calamities, these, you know, royal burial sites act as temples where a number of rituals, cultural activities are carried out just to make sure that whatever problems, whatever pestilences or indeed calamities that people are facing are subdued and life comes back to normal. And um, if a person was to ascend to become the new Litunga, he would have to pass through all the past kings, okay, to gain passage and acceptance to become the new uh, king. So in that way, it is believed that lost kings don't die because they still play a role in the lives of the living. Mm. A very, they contribute uh, a great deal to the lives of the living. And um, it is by culture and design, cultural design, that the royal burial sites of the Barossa kings uh, are all on this same flood plain that you are seeing. So they are not buried in the, in the upland, in the forests. No, they have to be buried 
right here on and perhaps that's the reason why sometimes you hear people saying that the Barotsa people are the water people so it's like there is this nexus of a period of time period of about three to four hundred years that has been created between the culture of the lost people and their natural environment the relationship that they have with the water, the relationship they have with animals, the relationship they have with trees, have helped them in a large way to conserve this place without actually being inimical to it, without destroying it. A very wealthy traditional management uh, system is what the lost people have used for about 400 years of their existence on the floodplain. Fantastic. L let's delve a little bit deeper into that traditional system that has enabled them to live in harmony with this uh, floodplain, the waters basically, the upper areas where there's trees and everything. That traditional system expound to us that has actually enabled them to live very much in harmony with this. The, the traditional system that um, has helped them is deeply connected to the fact that the leader of the Lozi is said to have been left for them by God. And the title that is given the Litunga, which means the earth, which means the land, okay, shows that there is a relationship between the creator himself mm -hmm. and the Litunga. So the manner in which they treat, you know, the Litunga, who is the land, the manner in which they treat the land itself is very connected to the Litunga ship. It's very connected to the fear of God. You, you discover that um, the, in the traditional management system, they have a number of ways and means that have assisted them to ensuring that they respect the land itself and everything that is on it because this land is directly connected to them or created for them by God, which God has not left them without a leader. It's given them a Litunga who is in charge uh, and is holding this land in trust. So the level of respect that they have from that cultural spiritual connection between them and Nyambe, God, is very strong. At some point, you discover that um, uh, the lost people use a number of ways to respect land, to respect fish, to respect water, to respect trees. You have, for instance, some trees that people have been told you cannot cut this tree because it is a royal tree. It belongs to the Litunga. The Litunga was given to them by Nyambe, God himself. Okay, and so uh, the linking of certain resources such as trees, such as fish, forests to the Litunga has helped the lost people to fearfully revere such places, respect them, and has helped the Barotsa people to, you know, treat these resources with reverence, uh, with respect, and that they would not allow anyone to do anything without their approval so for the period that we are talking now looking at here three to four hundred years we still have perhaps some of the best forests uh, in this country we still have uh, some of the pure and best fish species here 
on this same floodplain. We still have a number of uh, wildlife, for instance. Why? Because there is a cultural connection, which is also spiritual between people and God himself. The Barossa people in the traditional management system and practices have also at some point introduced what you call locally misha. These are basically laws and regulations that try to respond to ensuring that the conservation and management of the resource base is taken care of, not for individuals, not for private people, but for a collective community. So these are rules literally that they have put across to ensuring that their people follow them. And those that would not follow these rules would actually face you know, punitive ramifications, punitive measures would be meted upon them for not obliging to these rules which are believed to have come from God through their king and to the people. For instance, when it comes to the fishery, the lost people would tell you that you will not use illegal methods to start with. You are not going to use specific tools to catch fish because maybe such tools would be inimical to the, their aspirations of ensuring that the fish stocks are conserved. So in that case, they were able only to catch big fish of a period of time, and then they let the smaller fish to grow and continue to multiply, thereby ensuring that their livelihoods and food security was guaranteed in terms of the fish industry. When it comes to wildlife, for instance, there were laws that did not allow people to kill an animal that is pregnant, or indeed an animal that had a calf, because then kings would actually ask people, if, if you were killed yourself and your, your child was left, how would you feel? So there are all these set of laws and regulations that created the custom, the value system around the traditional management of the Barossa people. You know, I'm, I'm listening to you speak and I'm thinking, it's a culture that has spanned years and years, way before the whole issue of conservation concept as we know it right now. So I'm wondering in terms of from your experience and from working with these people, how important is this African cultural spiritualism important for conservation and management of such water bodies? It is extremely, extremely important. You know, we are talking about a people, for instance, that uh, basically did appreciate nature not less than uh, 300 years ago. The lost people were able to locate one of the wildlife sanctuaries. Uh, it's actually now a national park, uh, the Liua Plains National Park. The kings then, including the first Litunga, Mbo Miunda, okay, was able to go to that place, appreciate the wildlife there, and put in safeguard mechanisms that uh, ensure that uh, that area continued to blossom in terms of the wildlife. After he had died, the next Litunga also tried to augment on it. During the rulership of King Lewanikam, he even said, okay, now we are going to move a step further. He appointed certain clans of his people and asked them to build villages around the Liua Plains National Park. Why? Because it was a beautiful place. 
the and and kings and people would go there to appreciate the wildlife that is there the birds the, the different animals that are there so you have a people that um, historically have a concept of conservation a concept of not wanting to destroy but wanting to ensuring that they grow together live together with their land in a manner that they create a nexus no, a symbiotic relationship without detriment. Like I did indicate, Western province is the only province in Zambia that has this hardwood, first-class kind of forest surfaces. Okay, we have the, the teak, it is found here. You have the rosewood, it is found here. And you would wonder, how is it that the trees here have survived all this while? when in other provinces these trees have already been harvested a long long time ago they are no longer there but here we still have them it is because of this african cultural spiritual connectivity that uh, the people themselves have allowed themselves to be shaped by their environment and they have in response also shaped the environment where both the environment and themselves have created a relationship which is not detriment to either of them. Interesting. So it is really important. And we have actually had discourse and dialogue with people that, well, look, it is clear that in most cases, uh, floods do create problems for communities. Once there's a flood, communities complain a lot. But here is a people, the Barotsa people themselves, that we are able to work out safeguard mechanisms to ensuring that this flood no longer appeared to be a hazard, a risk to their livelihood. But instead, they were able to manage this flood in a manner that it gave them an advantage. So they have developed basically adaptation mechanisms to the natural environment without them destroying the environment, without them doing anything that otherwise undermine the ecosystem. And I think this is the way it's supposed to be. I have on many occasions during some of these dialogue meetings indicated to the colleagues, especially those that have a very contemporary way of looking at conservation that well we can also tap from the indigenous knowledge systems that our people have lived with over a period of time you have come with your program and here is a people that have been able to manage the flood arrangement i mean the only people maybe in the world that uh, when the flood is at the peak when they are supposed to be weeping and mourning the loudest to them that is a time to celebrate and you see them, you know, led by the Litunga himself from Lealui to the other palace there in Limulunga. You see them beating drums and uh, they are happy, they are dancing, including their animals. Their animals also do the transhumans. They also move from the flood zone to the upland in a very fashionable manner, in a very picturesque manner, in a very touristic manner. And when that happens, when the Kwomboka takes place, we actually have uh, tourists, not from just the locally from the province, or indeed not only from Zambia, not only from Africa, you have them from all over the world. Because to them, this is unique. And indeed, even to us, it is a unique thing of how people could just create a relationship with the flood. And instead of complaining, they take the flood to them when there is no flood. You know, if for instance, due to climate change, we don't have enough water 
and the flood does not take place. It is a very sad situation in Barotsland. It's a very sad thing for the Barotsa people because they always look up to the flood to come, not so that, not that they should cry, but that they should celebrate with the whole world of how they have been able to conquer the flood by way of putting, you know, uh, cultural mechanisms and create this nexus. They enjoy it. And I guess the flood also enjoys it. If it had a way to explain, it would say, well, these are the only people that are able to smile when we come. The rest of you guys, you know, run away and complain a lot about us. Land in Barotsland is always not looked at as a personal property. It is always viewed that it belongs to, to the people. It belongs to everyone. And because of that, if in an event that I bought a piece of land and then um, I decided to leave any of the areas that I would have bought from this particular place, land would still revert to the Barotsa people. I can sell my investment on that piece of land, but I'm not allowed to sell the land. I have to hand it back to the owners. So that is how they, they deal with land. Uh, we will have communal areas. You are aware that the lost people are also are cattle keepers. They keep a lot of domestic animals. So there are certain areas that have been uh, allocated for communal activities okay even just within the homesteads uh, you have uh, the patello for instance uh, these are areas that uh, are open for use by every member of uh, of the society of the community this is uh, these are places where um, meetings of common interest take place or indeed uh, meetings between uh, people that are interested uh, they take place on the patello you have again a number of the land tenure system uh, you have what they call katongo kashangwe that is land that can be given to to your family permanently you could be living out there in Europe or in another country. You should just know that your land is here. Even if everyone else died and only one person remained alive, that whole piece of land that was given to your family will still stand as such. It would have to take another process to redistribute this piece of land. That only can happen if you members of that family no longer show interest in the land or you go and report yourselves that you have no interest maybe you are not coming back maybe you know uh, the leaders can consider giving that land to another people that would be interested and then um, even lagoons you know this is a flood zone it has a lot of uh, lagoons even lagoons are given to families families are the ones that are taking care of these lagoons but that is not to say that other members of the community could not fish from these lagoons it must be understood that uh, the giving of lagoons for instance or indeed forests to specific members of the community is but just a traditional mechanism of assigning responsibilities to specific people to specific families to undertake on behalf of the traditional leaders. 
so that if it is time to harvest, you know, services and resources from this, always a communal way of doing it. If it's a lagoon, they would set a date when which villagers would be allowed to go and fish. And then another date would be set for another village, another date. They will be getting fish from that particular lagoon, which that specific family has been given to take care of. If it is a forest, it would be just like that. Yeah. Mm. So we are saying that uh, this, you know, cultural safeguarding mechanisms where you share the roles, you know, you give each other responsibilities to take care of some of, you know, community resources on behalf of the community. Okay. But then ultimately, you know, invite the community when it is ripe to come and harvest what you have been. This, I think, is the way it's supposed to be. And we can uh, learn a lot from such indigenous cultural systems in conservation that uh, they give us the responsibility, they give an opportunity of communality, an opportunity of sharing roles and ensuring that uh, we also respect each other's roles. On this floodplain, we have bird sanctuaries. So even for bird sanctuaries, there are individuals and people that are actually given to ensuring that they take care of these bird sanctuaries so that the birds flourish. These are traditional management systems that have been used for a period of three to 400 years. Okay, it's not a new phenomenon. It's an old traditional phenomenon of people apportioning and assigning amongst themselves responsibilities of how best they could take care of nature, how best they could take care of the ecosystem and ensuring that they symbiotically live with the ecosystem without damaging it. There is also another level of just, uh, you know, private property. You are also free to grow in accumulating wealth, you as an individual, you as a family. So you find that if you move around, you have people that have a lot of cattle more than the others. It is also allowed. But we are saying that we have communal areas, grazing pastures where these animals would go. If you have two heads of cattle, you are allowed to go and graze your cattle in those areas. If you have you have a hundred, you have a thousand, you are equally allowed to. So it is different tiers and levels of cultural, societal cohesion that uh, allows commonness, allows unity amongst the people, but also cultural aspect that respects individual aspirations, individuals' ability to accumulate personal wealth for themselves and their families. Fantastic. The question is, we seem to have lost this particular type of Africanism in terms of culture and conservation. In your opinion, where did we go? Way where um, is Africa? We, there are a number of things that uh, have actually eaten away the African civilization, the way we understand it like when it comes to areas of conservation. The Barossa people are one of, I think, one of the best examples you can give that have um, managed to live in their environment, 
uh, that actually presents a constraint, a hazard, a flood plan. But they have, they have been able to understand the ecosystem very well and that they're part of the ecosystem and have implemented these cultural aspects to respond to ensuring that uh, conservation and management of the environment is done and that it is key in their lives, key for their survival, and that it, it is incumbent upon them to respond positively to this environment. But you know, there are a number of things, you know, the world evolves. Part of the, the challenges that we are now struggling with uh, that have made us lose some of our deep-rooted cultural safeguarding mechanisms including intangible cultural heritage. You remember they, sometimes they would just use proverbs. Sometimes they would just use, you know, certain stories, you know, to cut on indiscriminate behavior towards the environment. You no, know, they, would, they would tell you, for instance, that, well, um, that tree uh, belongs to, to the king. So it would be like if you are cutting that tree, you are basically killing the king. So, but uh, due to a number of things that have come with change, these have unfortunately uh, worked against conservation mechanisms. There's loss of respect for African leadership. There is loss of respect to the rules and laws that we are able to make. This time we have new laws that have been put across by states or countries that we seem to pay more attention to than the local rules and, and, and regulations that uh, actually respond in the immediate to what can threaten our existence and indeed uh, what can cause us to uh, to to, to prosper. For instance, the creation of canals. We have about 3,000 kilometers of canal, a maze of them, canal networks that uh, are all over this floodplain. But that thing was done uh, freely. People just used to, to give themselves maybe 12 days to work on the canals because they knew it was something that was beneficial to them. It was something that would be beneficial for their future, for their agricultural activities, for their fishery arrangement, and, and for the hydrological you know, drainage system that uh, they had wanted to put across. But uh, later on, after independence, for instance, there were ideas that uh, it was no longer fashionable to work for free because now we had a country that would provide resources to pay for people that were willing to do the canal system. So the free, you know, voluntary service that the people were giving it was more or less like uh, immediately cut off because now there was uh, an emolument towards doing any sort of work. That was African. That is the African spirit that um, you are able to give your best, you are able to give your food, you are able to give your labor, you are able to give your assistance to anyone, to anything, to yourself even, for nothing really. The benefit is exactly what you'd get out of what you have. Sometimes it's just a spiritual edification that you are able to work together as one.
But you know, like I indicated, after we got independence, there was, you know, a new way of doing things that those that would do such things needed to be paid. And because there was money then, people were paid. But at some point, the economy went down and people could not be paid. But then they had been introduced to money and so they started resisting voluntary work. So those are some of the uh, problems that we are facing. Right away, we have several, maybe thousands of the kilometers of the same canals that are clogged. And there is no one who is doing that because they are waiting maybe for a project to come and give them some stipends for them to do the work. Or maybe they are waiting for a way of of getting wages out of but hey this is supposed to to help them this is their traditional culture that actually is supposed to to improve their livelihoods that is supposed to secure food uh, and so on and so forth mm. so you also have uh, religion religion is also one of those areas i think that has uh, destroyed a lot of african spirit in a lot of ways some of these activities that we would do as africans required a bit of maybe rituals or there are areas that are known to be historical okay there are areas that are linked with our ancestors but religion has come in such a manner that anything that is ancestral anything that is uh, historical in the african sense is perceived as containing something that is evil and because of that and you know we have most of our people turning to be converts to this new religion and so they have decided to abstain from living the true african cultural spirit in their lives so those are some of the the, the difficulties that we we have can we ever get it back we just have to get back we just have to get back and i think the world is quickly realizing that we can't just keep on you know becoming new every time there are still a lot of wealth in terms of indigenous knowledge system local you know knowledge systems that people have that they used and that can still be used today to ensuring that issues that we are facing are curtailed I mean, we have climate change. If you spoke to one of the old ladies here, or indeed old people, they would tell you that they would know. They would look at the weather patterns and they would tell that there would be rain or the rain will come late or the rain will go early. And so they would prepare themselves. Do we need to get this fruit and keep this fruit so that when this rain does not come, we are able to feed ourselves from ABC? So it was a whole complete you know, safeguarding mechanism that people had learned over a period of time. And that was real to the situation that they were facing every day. So uh, we just have no option but to create a hybrid of what can be done in the modern science, but also what we can pick from uh, the cultural science that uh, we have lived on for a period of time. Fantastic. Thank You're you welcome. so, so much. I sincerely appreciate You're welcome.
And that was Siatoka Victor from the National Heritage Conservation Commission in Zambia, who was talking to us about African spiritualism and how the Lozi people of the Barossa floodplains have used it to live in harmony and protect this particular floodplains and the biodiversity that exists in it. Remember, you can access this podcast, this episode, and many other episodes that we have produced over the years through our website, www.africaclimateconversations.com. And you can also access it using Spotify through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, Podcast Addict, and Google Podcasts, and many, many, many other podcast channels that you access your other podcasts from. Do not forget to leave us a comment, and remember that you can reach us um, through email using info at africaclimateconversations.com. Until next time, Kwaheri Asante Sana for joining us. My name is Sophie Mbogwa. Africa Climate Conversations. The podcast.